Welcome back to the Land Development Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Glick. And if this is your first time listening to us, our show is dedicated to having conversations with uh, people affiliated with the industry uh, to share their stories and talk some a uh, little bit about their projects that they have going on. And today I'm excited to have on the show with me, the chairman of McClure Engineering, Terry Lutz. Terry, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, appreciate it. Looking forward to it. <clears throat> so where I like to start the conversations is really just digging <clears throat> into a little bit of uh, your background. So um, with where you got started, how did you, and maybe we start more with the end in mind or with the end of where we're at right now. So you being uh, associated with McClure, you know, how did you get your start with McClure and uh, how long have you been with the organization? Sure. Yeah, I graduated from Iowa State in 1977 and uh, worked for a company in Marshalltown for a year, uh, Fisher Controls. Met a guy named John McClure in 1978, kind of wanted to get out of the big company uh, arena and ended up meeting John. We had about, and went to work for John in 1978. Uh, Moved there July of 1978 from Marshalltown to Fort Dodge, Iowa, and uh, didn't know a soul. John was a great guy. Had, he was a very charismatic engineer, which is hard to find. But John and I clicked and moved there and uh, started working for John. And uh, in 1981, I bought a small part of the company. In 85, I bought the balance of the company with two other partners. And again, we were about one office, 12 people at the time, just providing traditional civil engineering services. That's what I graduated in. And... Uh, Started growing the firm in 86. We put an office in Des Moines. We were doing work here and just started growing it from there. And today we're uh, 260 people growing. I think we have 14, 15 offices um, throughout Midwest, Iowa, and Missouri. And we have a just bought a company out east in New Hampshire. And we're out interviewing more people to start to grow that market. So put a new CEO in place a year ago in July. Dustin Leo. He's doing a great job. He's really running the day-to-day of McClure. And uh, it allows me as the chairman to kind of just get involved more and more in land development, which has frankly always been my passion. And uh, so that's where I'm spending most of my time. And and that's what got me here today. So, okay. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. As a, <clears throat> as a chairman, I was wondering what you know, what you do in that role. So is it, is it mainly around uh, looking for new opportunities uh, around the organization? Yeah, Dustin really runs the day-to-day of the organization. Now that takes a lot of time with the employees and the offices we have. He's doing a great job with that. And again, my passion has always been finding deals, uh, particularly land development deals. And also we're, our market, the engineering industry right now is on fire. Um, a lot of opportunities for mergers and acquisitions. A lot of people my age, um, in the engineering space have not focused on transitioning their firms to younger leaders. I've, uh, we really focused on that pretty hard starting about 10 years ago. We have a great leadership team in place. So Dustin, with him running the day-to-day, it's allowed me to really kind of look at um, opportunities for growth for the firm long-term. Um, so we've got eyes on mergers and acquisitions. And then again, a lot of the land, land development stuff that we're doing drives a lot of engineering fees. So I'm looking for land development projects as well as engineering projects and, and engineering firms to try to acquire. Gotcha. So as you talk about like the industry right now and just how, how things have changed, like what, 
what stands out to you the most as you think back to when you were a company of 14 people to where we're at today? How, <laughs> yeah. how have you seen the industry change oh, over man, the years? It's, it's changed so much. Um, the biggest thing that I've noticed in the last couple of years is I spent probably 40 years of my 45, six-year career chasing work, just trying to find new clients, building the business, broadening our uh, relationships with clients. The, literally the last four or five years, work is just pouring in. Um, you know, our country, the infrastructure in our country is failing. Civil engineering is, we design public infrastructure and private development work. And that whole industry right now is on fire across the country. So what's happening is uh, there's a huge shortage of civil engineers. It's like the 50th most desirable profession to go in for kids. So there aren't many people entering the industry. Um, huge demand. And with such a lar- small supply and big demand, it's really ripe for mergers and acquisitions. A lot of guys my age, again, like I said, baby boomers are going to be retiring in the next several years and they've not looked to transition their firm. Um, so what we're seeing is a lot of private equity coming in, wanting to acquire firms like ours um, because they see the same thing we see. There's just a big, huge supply and demand variance. Um, so with that, we've kind of, we get approached all the time. Probably could sell the business tomorrow if we wanted to, yeah. but we've just decided, hey, we've got a great leadership team, young guys that really want to keep this thing going. And uh, we thought, you know what, rather than take our equity out of the business, right, and out, why not leave it in instead of go getting private equity from some company that doesn't know anything about our business or having near, we're near the relationships that we have. So the biggest change is really just the, the huge demand for our services. Um, so it's pretty, uh, the future looks pretty bright for our industry. Yeah. I, and I wonder on the PE side of things, if uh, as more PE comes into the industry, I wonder what that's going to do to the projects and like just to the companies and the service and everything that's provided to yeah. the industry in general. It seems like it might, it might take a hit because you see that quite often when PE comes in and they just want to, you know, they just want that cash flow to come in from the business and keep going. But yeah. you can't just, you can't just continue to, to ride the business as it is currently without continuing to evolve with the industry and everything. Exactly. When we like it, when PE comes in, particularly if they're coming into our competitors, because we see huge cultural changes once that happens. And engineers are pretty loyal people, but if the culture starts to change in an engineering, but probably in any kind of business, uh, culture is king. And that's why we've been afraid to take private equity. We don't feel like we need somebody with a financing finance degree who is probably going out drinking on the weekends when we were in studying, (laughs) telling us how to run a highly technical business where we've built personal relationships with clients for 40 years. So we're kind of negative on private equity. Um, I wouldn't say that we haven't looked at it, mm-hmm. but uh, under the right circumstance, we might take a look at it just because it could help fuel our growth. But our group would would kill me if we ever took it to the extent that that started driving the decisions for the business. Would never do it. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we obviously have the same thing in our company and yep. just knowing that you know, if you take outside money, um, you know, you just got to understand what that relationship's going to look like and what type of role they're going to play in, yep. in the company and everything. So I, I definitely get it. Um, yep. Maybe more of a just quick sidetrack here of a, more of a personal question for you um, before we jump into maybe some project talk. Sure. Um, 
like what, what types of things do you do outside of McClure? You know, so now that you're in, I'm not going to say that as I, I'm sure when you were in the CEO role before you uh, shifted to, and were you the chairman and CEO at that time? Yeah, president, so always, CEO, uh, okay. dishwasher, street, <laughs> warrior. many hats, yeah, many hats. Exactly. Um, what, what types of things do you do outside of the office? Like just personal hobbies and things? Uh, well, I used to play a lot of golf. As I've gotten older, I play less golf, still like to. Uh, have a lake home. So I spend weekends at uh, Lake Okoboji actually pretty much every weekend in the summer. Um, and just the last few years, my wife and I built, uh, have a home down in Arizona, Scottsdale. We go down there in the winter. Uh, now we both have sisters that live there. So we enjoy that. And um, I work out. Uh, that's why I was asking you about 75 hard. Yeah. I do CrossFit every morning. People think I'm nuts at my age. <laughs> I'm definitely the old no, man, and, old man in the group, but uh Hey, it's fun. So I love to work out and, um, you know, I, I just have so much fun with our business, uh, with both sides of our business. It seems like, like a lot of people that own their own business, just working all the time. It's not heavy duty work all the time, but it's, um, it's just kind of always on your mind, but you know, and then I've got grandkids. I've got uh, four of our five children live here in Des Moines. We've got six grandkids, one on the way. Um, so we're spending time with them and, um, I don't know. I'm still trying to define this in the last <laughs> chapter of my life. Uh, <laughs> I'm not doing very good at it. I can tell you. <laughs> well, that's funny. No, I love, I love the, uh, I love the commitment to the, uh, to the fitness and everything. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I definitely get it on the entrepreneur side and just being a business owner and knowing that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people ask like, what, what are your hobbies? And it's like, well, business is one of my hobbies because yeah. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy yeah. the things I do. Cause there's a lot of strategy involved. There's a lot of, uh, you know, forward looking into, you know, how are we going to adapt as the economy changes and things of that nature? So yeah. I definitely get that. Yeah, it's great. You know, people say you need to get to the point in life where you can kind of do what you want to do that. I mean, that's, I think how you define retirement, you're doing what you like to do on your own terms. And to me, if that happens to be work, uh, as long as it's balanced and you're not killing yourself over it, <laughs> to me, that is, I, maybe I am retired. I just don't know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I guess uh, one of the things you said a little bit ago about the, the relationships that mm -hmm. have been built between McClure and various companies that you mm -hmm. work with, mm -hmm. um, how, what do you see the role of those relationships in this industry? Well, it's interesting. I, Last week, I went to a retirement party for a lady who was the mayor and has been on the city council for the city of Carlisle. City of Carlisle has been a, a, a client of ours since I first got in business in 1978. He's a client for John even before then. So, and I watched her throughout her entire political career. Um, she thought about running for state senate at one time. Um, so, when you go to somebody's retirement party like that, it's not about the business you created together over the last 50 years is more about her life and so on. And I have a good fraternity brother, friend of mine who's coming in tomorrow and uh, he's been the mayor of Adel forever. Adel has been a client of ours since the seventies. Um, and I could go on and on, but we have relationships like that with people that I've gotten to know over the years and, and uh, have been really good to our firm. And, uh, and we try to do, you know, a really good service for them, really protect them and look out for their interests. Um, and same with, with, uh, you know, a lot of our people, I, we just had one of our gals, uh, she called me, we were both crying a couple of weeks ago. She retired. She started here two weeks at, or two years after I did. 
and has been with us ever since. We have a, several long-term employees. Um, you know, like all businesses, huge, hugely based on relationships. And uh, in fact, that's um, our mission statement is to build relationships for success. And uh, it really kind of starts with, you know, looking for people that understand and agree that relationships mean more than business. Um, so anyway, it's been a big part of what we do and it's how we think. Yeah. And I, I wonder too, with those relationships, what are, what would you see um, as some common challenges that you experience as you're working? Um, you know, we're, we're talking kind of specifically on the show a lot about land development and everything, but you know, are there anything that things that come to mind that are some common challenges that you have when working with land developers? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that you can say. Well, on here. <laughs> I am. I, I'm an engineer, and I'm a land developer, and I was also a mayor at one time. So I've had to deal with developers from about every angle. You can deal with them, and you know, developers are certainly uh, very entrepreneurial, and they're. Uh, I'd have to say they are driven to uh, by the money that can be made. They're really high risk takers. Um, so oftentimes with developers, we've seen it's more about the money than maybe what's right for the community or for the greater good of what it is they're doing. McClure's uh, vision statement is making lives better. So when I got into development, probably I did development back when I lived in Fort Dodge, but when I moved to Des Moines, as we got into it in a bigger way, um, we thought, you know, making lives better is how we run McClure Engineering Company. And we wanted to take that same philosophy into our land development. If we walk into a city and we've, we've instructed our engineers when they're working with other developers, don't ever go in and ask a city for something that doesn't make sense or that's one-sided. It's, it's, we always try to approach it from a win-win situation. There's plenty of deals out there, plenty of ways to make money. And if you try to take advantage of somebody in any one deal, uh, we believe it'll always come back to haunt you. So at least, knock on wood, we have tried to approach every project we can with that uh, kind of philosophy in mind that, hey, if we can make our communities' lives better by either the, you know, the development we do, the, the uh, outcome of that development, and at the, at the end of the day, making our own lives better. I yeah. mean, we're in, for, in it for ourselves as well. Um, that's really what it's all about. And if we can't do that, we probably wouldn't look at a project. So um, again, we have some developer clients that maybe don't share that. And uh, I've had partners that don't share that philosophy and we're no longer partners, but we believe that's kind of the core at, at who we are. So kind of uh, piggybacking on that and uh, going a little further with it, with developers who are reaching out to an engineering firm. Mm -hmm. What what do developers need to keep in mind when they're starting a relationship with a engineering firm? Yeah, great question. They uh, number one, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, number one is, you know, from an engineering perspective, our job we believe is you can make our developers' lives better, and also the community that they're working in. So, if a developer came to us, we would want to know what kind of project he's doing, get a sense for whether he's got the community's interest in mind, maybe as much as his. And what he should be looking for is, hey, is that engineer going to represent his interest, but yet work in concert with whatever regulatory agency he's got to work with? So if it's a city or a state um, or a county, there just needs to be a, co a collaboration and uh, to 
to do successful projects that way. Um, if a developer wanted an engineer that would just go to bat for him and do anything, um, there's plenty out there that would probably do it for a fee and move on and so forth. Um, so it just depends if, if, if a developer, I think Des Moines and Iowa, Des Moines particularly is a very small uh, town. The state of Iowa is a very small state. The reputation gets around pretty quick and you, you can make your break, break, make or break your reputation on one deal. So I just think if an, if a developer's coming to an engineer, he should keep in mind that obviously he wants to get his project done. He wants to get it done as fast as he can, probably as cheap as he can, but yet there are still things he has to live up to. And, and I would encourage him to find engineering firms that believe that because it's going to help make him successful over time as well. Um, that's how I'd answer that. I guess. Yeah. So maybe, uh, so shifting gears here to a session or a section of the show that we call site stories. So oh. I don't know if I've referred to it as site stories on any episode up to this point, but that's what it's supposed to be called a site story. So where we talk about just different projects that, you know, the guest on the show is working on. And I'm curious if there's one that you have going on right now or one that you're passionate about that, uh, you know, you'd be able to share a little bit about. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot. Um, one that's been really fun is back in Fort Dodge, we bought the mall up there. The, um, it was an old retail mall. It was 31 acres. And the city asked us as an engineering firm if we would take a look at the mall and maybe do a master plan on it so they could figure out how to do something. It was falling apart. It's in a great location, a very highly visible spot in town, probably the most visible real estate in the city. We looked at it. <clears throat> actually, I looked at it several years ago and then backed away. And then three or four years ago, we looked at it. We told the city if we got into it and if we liked it, uh, we would maybe just buy it and develop it ourselves through our ATI group. And if they would be willing, if the city would be willing to work with us on some incentives, they loved the idea because the city didn't want to own a mall or try to develop the mall. So we ended up working with the city. The city put a little bit of a pressure on the current owner, previous owner, to clean the place up. So it was going to start costing them money when we ended up which then allowed them to come to the table and we were able to purchase it at a reasonable price. During that process though, we put together a, uh, it was about a $10 million funding package with the city. They gave, they gave us $10 million of funding uh, assistance up front through TIF that they had from the other areas of the community. And then they were offering us another $8 million of TIF uh, tax increment financing uh, on the back end from tax increment that we could create. So we put together an $18 million funding package up front, which reduced our risk to be able to go in and buy the mall and start redeveloping. And we put, had put a master plan together that the city really liked. Um, and then as we started working it, the state of Iowa came out with a $100 million sales tax TIF reimbursement program that cities could compete for. And that was not a part of our original plan when we started the mall. But when we got into it, and most of the sales tax TIF was going to go towards projects that would drive retail that were more entertainment related. And so we revised our concept, came up with kind of a uh, pavilion concept, an outside entertainment venue and so forth, went to the state, asked for $18 million of the $100 million. 
we got 17 million. Um, so combined, there was uh, 18, about 35 million between the city and the state to help get that project going. So we started developing it. We tore down most of the mall. We left 80,000 square feet, built a strip center, flipped it or leased it up, sold it to a, a friend of ours. Um, the rest of the mall has been sitting there now for about three years. Took a while to get the leases run through, but we're just next year. We're going to start now really finalizing the development. Since that time, we've brought in a developer from Des Moines who's going to build a four or five court uh, basketball court arena nice. with a restaurant in it that will have garage doors on one side of this arena that can spill out into a plaza. So we can have indoor outdoor concerts. They can convert this to pickleball, a lot of different uh, activities in this area. We have a hotel, a couple of hotels interested across the other way from the plaza. Um, we're taking, we took the 300,000 square foot mall. We're taking that down to 80,000 square feet. We have all of that space virtually spoken for. Um, and uh, as we've gotten into this, the lease rates in Fort Dodge don't quite support current costs. So the county has been very helpful. We just are in the process of trying to get about $6.5 million out of the county to help us finish building out the mall area. Once we get that mall built and leased up, it'll start generating all the sales tax that the county will then get paid back as part of the $17 million package from the state. So that's been a very complex public-private partnership that we've put together over the last three or four years. Uh, I'm convinced that mall would sit there another 40 years if uh, somebody uh, like us didn't come in and figure out how to be creative. And the nice thing that made that work there, talk about developers. The one thing that developers really need to work on <laughs> in general is building trust with the communities that they work in. Um, we, we have a, we're fortunate that we have a longstanding relationship in Fort Dodge. That's where our firm started as their engineer. We've built a lot of trust and done a lot of great projects for them. And so we were at the table as partners, really negotiating a way through a very, very difficult project without that kind of uh, public private partnership trust, and relationship, that project would have never happened. Um, so that's moving forward, and it's um, looking like it's going to be really, really successful. Give you an example. When we're all done, you talk about making lives better. When we're all finished, currently that project, um, before we got involved, they were paying about $110,000 a year in property taxes on 31 acres of a retail mall. When we're done, it'll pay over $2.1 million per year. So the payback to the city is going to be huge. That's just in property taxes. There'll be all kinds of other taxes paid through uh, sales tax and uh, hotel motel tax and so on. So that's been a really fun project and um, pretty cool. Yeah, those are always interesting to me too because it's really it's it's a reuse of land that's already there and, <clears throat> yep. and already developed. And so it seems like as like you mentioned way back in the beginning of our conversation around kind of the the crumbling infrastructure in our country, it's like there's got to be so many opportunities to do projects like this with uh, whether it's malls that are just sitting there vacant or um, all sorts of other buildings that, that might be sitting there. So it's really interesting to hear, you know, firsthand how you yeah. actually have done that. Yeah, no, they say 70% of the malls in the United States are closing or need to close or will close. Um, that's one of the reasons we jumped into this. We wanted to learn, teach ourselves kind of how you really take a mall work through existing tenants, 
uh, get them out so you can then go in and redevelop it. How do you redevelop it to reactivate the space? Um, since that time, we've got our eye on two other malls uh, in Iowa, and we looked at another one out of state, but still in the Midwest. Um, it's really distressed. Uh, millions of dollars of taxes owed on it. It's been sitting vacant for 20-some years. We're pretty confident we could step in and help that community, but I'm not sure the city is quite ready to do what Fort Dodge did. And until yeah. a city feels the pain, um, they'll yeah. sit there and continue to, to deteriorate. Yeah. So we love those kind of projects. We love to take distressed property and, and redo them. Nice. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. 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 Well, I think uh, just looking at the time here probably should wrap up and uh, really appreciate hearing that story. I know you have a lot of other stories that you could sure. share in projects yeah. and everything, yep. but uh, maybe in closing here, the the last thing I would ask is, you know, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Uh, if they have any questions, whether it's about maybe one of the projects that they're wanting to do something like that in their area or whatever, sure. what's, what's the best way to get yeah. in touch with you? You know, I didn't mention this. I should have mentioned it at the beginning. <clears throat> we have, so... I'm chairman of McClure Engineering Company, which is a traditional civil engineering firm. Um, all the development we do is outside of McClure Engineering Company. I didn't make that very clear. Um, we don't put McClure, which we call the mothership, at risk. So we create separate LLCs as we do with these. And uh, I'm a big owner in these LLCs. But then we started the ATI group uh, with BJ uh, Stokesbury and Casey Schaefbo. They used to work at McClure. They were managing some of my private developments several years ago, and that's when we started ATI Group. So ATI is actually the entity that will step in and take on a project like um, the Fort Dodge Mall and others. So with McClure's engineering reach, we can identify several projects in the same way with ATI. So the two work very close hand-in-hand. Hand. ATI is essentially a uh, wholly-owned subsidiary of McClure. So the two companies work close together. So if someone wanted to reach out to us, they could either call the, uh, or look at the ATI groups website, um, which is our development arm, or they can come to McClure and look at our website as well. If you go to our website, the lead video says, Hey, we think and act like developers and owners. And that's why. Yeah. So they can get, reach us either way. Okay, cool. And I'll throw those into the description for this episode so they can click the links and, okay. and easily get there. That'd be great. Well, that's all I've got. So Perfect. I really appreciate you joining me. Right. And uh, for those of you listening in, don't forget to uh, click that subscribe button and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.